Good morning, Grandview family. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your care for each one of us. And as we look into your word this morning, would you just encourage us, strengthen us, cause us to grow even though we are apart. Thank you, Father, for answering our prayers and for being here today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how well do you keep secrets? You have found the perfect gift that expresses your love, your care, or your affection for your mate, your friend, or one of your children. You're almost busting on the inside to tell them what you did. How long can you keep it a secret? A month? A week? A day? I know many of you, and some of you can't even keep it an hour. You just can't let this secret sit in you too long. You just get so excited on the inside. So the question comes is, how long can you keep a secret? How long can you keep the joy bottled up inside of you? I remember when our son was young and Barb and I decided we were going to get him a basketball hoop for Christmas. And I found it months in advance and had it put away and how much I wanted to tell him there was a hoop that was going to go up. But I didn't. I think the, the one for me when I was a child, and I may have told this story before, is my father had found something that was going to literally knock my socks off. But he knew that I had a tendency to look for those gifts before Christmas. Now, I'll tell you, I never opened an a wrapped gift. I never opened one. But it didn't keep me from opening just regular boxes. Well, that year, my dad had bought the gift months in advance as well, and he wrote in big crayon on the outside of the box, weight-reducing machine. I never went near that box. And it wasn't until Christmas that I found out that he had purchased for me and for my siblings an electric go-kart. We had so much fun with that, but I never knew, and my dad kept it a secret. Now, it is really hard to keep a secret when you have good news. So, so why do we keep things secret? See, often we wish to surprise the other person of, uh, with something that will bring them great joy. And we want to be there the moment they open that gift and we see the joy register on their face. Sometimes we keep something a secret because it's hard news like a, a job loss or a job demotion. We wish to spare them some of the pain and some of the agony of the reality of what we're going through. Sometimes we have to wait for other pieces to fall into place before the full effect can be seen of this secret that we now have. Sometimes we're protecting another person, their character, their reputation, and so we keep something secret. I think also, though, we keep a secret because we're hurt. We've been bruised. And we don't want someone else to know how much it has pained us personally. And so we keep quiet. 
Today we're going to look at a scripture passage that we see one of God's greatest secrets revealed. So turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. And if you're at home and you're sitting there with your children, would you please pull out a Bible or pull out your tablet or, or your phone and turn to Ephesians 3 so that they can follow along with you? Help them understand. Now let me give you the background of this passage. In chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians, Paul discusses the union between Jewish and Gentile believers in the church. He mentions it. He desires for them to more fully comprehend the extent of God's love for them. And while Paul was writing the letter to the church at Ephesus, the book of Ephesians, remember, he is under house arrest at Rome. And so you look at this uplifting letter and realize where he's at. Now, many have calculated that Paul's imprisonment, Paul's incarceration, now may have stretched up to five years. He spent two years in Caesarea. He then was on a voyage to Rome and wintered in Malta and now has spent up to two years in Rome itself. This has been a season of hardship for Paul. His friends are asking him, Paul, is it worth it? With all that you have suffered, is what you have as a message all that important? Wait till you hear his response in this book, chapter 3 of Ephesians. So turn with me to Ephesians 3, starting at verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And you see in the text there's a dash. For this reason. For, for what reason? Paul, Paul's giving grace to the Gentiles because of God's message for them. Remember, Paul's a prisoner in Rome, yet he claims in this first verse to be a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He, he doesn't even mention Rome. He could have blamed Rome and the Caesars, and yet Paul sees this as part of God's plan for his life, and Paul was being obedient. He was being obedient to Christ, who took him to Rome. Paul trusted God completely. He trusted God's sovereignty over the affairs of men. And no matter where God took Paul, he trusted him. The question this morning is, do we do the same thing? Do we see God working in our life? And whether we see it or not, do we continue to trust him in the moment? for all that's taking place? Or do we find ourselves, like others, blaming God, blaming other authorities, blaming our circumstances? See, Paul is starting in chapter 3, verse 1, into a prayer. And as he gets to the end of verse 1, 
he is interrupted. His thought is interrupted. And verses 2 through 13 are one long sentence in the original Greek. He goes on to think about, as I start praying, I realize I want to discuss God's greatest mystery that he is revealing. And so in verses 2 to 6, Paul talks about God's great mystery. Now the word mystery is a technical term in the scriptures. It, it is not a whodunit. It is not a uh, Nancy Drew mystery. But in the context of the Bible, a mystery is a truth that was once hidden but is now revealed. It is a truth which without special revelation from God himself, we would never know that it even existed. So in verse 2 to verse 6, Paul writes these things. He's going to stop his prayer for just a moment. And he's going to say, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, no, the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, but has now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul says that he is the steward of God's grace. See, God, uh, Paul was appointed by Paul to administer God's grace to them. And he's a steward in three senses. One, God chose Paul. Secondly, God gave Paul the content of the message, and that is God's free and unmerited kindness to the Gentiles. And number three, God chose unworthy people to be so favored by the gospel. In verses three through five, we see the revelation of the mystery, the revealing of the mystery, the uncovering of the mystery. It says, Paul did not discover this on his own. It was God's revelation to him. And no revelation of this mystery was given in the Old Testament. Now think about that very clearly. If you read through the entire Old Testament, nowhere in the Old Testament do you see the truth of what we now call the church, the unifying of Jews and Gentiles into one body? It was first revealed by Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, and chapter 18, verse 17. Up till then, it was an unknown. And this is a new program, a new line of revelation. In verse 5 is the definition of a mystery which says, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit of God. 
So what is the content of that mystery is found in verse 6. The content. There's three truths found in verse 6. Number one, Gentiles are fellow heirs. That means the Gentiles now equally share in the inheritance that only the Jews thought were theirs up to this point. Secondly, in the text, the Gentiles are fellow members of the same body. That's the body of Christ. They are now unified with Jews. And thirdly, the Gentiles are now fellow partakers of the promise. They both now can claim the promises of God as theirs. Wow. Now notice in this verse, nowhere does he mention the law. Because the Jews believed that you had to follow the law in order to be, receive the promises and the blessing of God. But, the, but Paul now says this new mystery is in Christ Jesus. See, believing Jews and Gentiles are now joined together as part of the body of Christ. In verses 7 to 11 is Paul's grace ministry. And in verses 7 through 9, we see Paul's commission from God. Let me read that for you. Verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse 9, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. That's Paul's commission. In verses 7 through part of verse 8, we see God's provision and his placement of Paul into this situation. You see, it says, Paul, I didn't choose myself for this role. And this choice was not based upon his ability, but it was totally based on God's grace. See, God's grace had marked him as a minister. And it marked him to provide this gospel message by God's power. See, it says in verse 8, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints... See, Paul considered himself to have no qualifications for this mission God gave him. Matter of fact, in this little phrase here, to translate it, it could be translated, though I am the leastest. He is a nothing in his own eyes. And God called him into this ministry. There are two themes to Paul's ministry here. One, to preach. Secondly, to bring to light something. So in verse 8, second half, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He's been called to preach to the Gentiles, to tell them about Christ's fathomless spiritual wealth. Fathomless, unsearchable, which means it cannot 
be fully explored. It would be like a cave system that no one has ever seen the end of. And it can never be fully comprehend this side of glory. So he's been called to preach to Gentiles. Secondly, he has been called to bring to light, to enlighten everyone, it says in verse 9. And to enlighten what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. He was going to be able to show the world how this mystery is going to be worked out in practice. And in God's wisdom, he decided to withhold any knowledge of this new creation until the advent of his son, Jesus Christ. He has been sitting on this truth since before time began. But no one except God himself knew the plan of forming the church, the body of Christ. In verse 10, we see God's purpose. Verses 10 and 11, that's why verse 10 starts out, so that, that says purpose. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God may now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Jesus Christ our Lord. See, the church is God's mystery. And the church would be the way of communicating God's wisdom to the world. Now, we often think of a church like this, but can I suggest, based upon the text and other places, this is the church. The people that God has redeemed for his son, Jesus Christ. And it says in the text here that through the church, through us, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities, now catch this, in the heavenly places. See, God is using us, the church, to teach angels, both good and evil. Is that not amazing? The cosmic plan that God has put into place has an eternal purpose, and that's cosmic reconciliation. See, Paul's ministry of reconciliation was to impact two worlds, both the world here, but also the world unseen. As I reflected upon that, and as I found a quote, I want to read to you something that just made me sit up and think. Angels are learning of God's grace through the church. Now that I just said, but here's where it goes on. Satan knows the scriptures. Satan can quote scriptures backwards and forwards. He has been there. And by keeping the church a mystery, literally a secret, until Christ's arrival, he kept the program for the church being hidden. 
And so as Satan was trying to, to frustrate God's plan, is saying to himself, if I can kill the Savior, I can watch him rot in a grave. God's plan cannot be put into place. And God said to himself, Satan only sees a part of the plan. The rest of it is a mystery, unknown by anyone except the very mind of God. And as Satan tried to kill Christ and leave him in the tomb and to say God's kingdom plan has been thwarted, the Jewish nation has rejected their king, God in his wisdom said, oh, I have something called the church that he knows nothing about. And when Christ arose from the dead, the church was in its infancy. And at the day of Pentecost, the church was born. And Satan knew nothing of it. By sending Christ to the cross, Satan sealed his own doom. Isn't that amazing? In verses 12 through 13, the very two last verses, Paul says this. In whom, talking about in Christ, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. In those last two verses, he gives encouragement to the believers there and the believers that are listening even today and reading this passage. Because in verse 12, there are three terms that describe our reconnection to the living God. Number one, boldness. Boldness on our part. We now can openly approach the Father and address him as Father. Why? Because we, through Christ, have every right now to be there in his presence. The second word, access. Paul is saying to us, there is now an open door. Our God is approachable. We don't have to wait outside the veil. We have been invited in, into the very throne room of the King of Kings. And then it says, confidence to our faith in him. The context for boldness and access, an open door for a family member gives us, it gives us confidence to walk into his presence. It speaks of prayer. We have the right and the privilege and the boldness and the access and the confidence to come before the very God of creation, the Lord of Lords, to tell him what we're thinking and what we're concerned about. And then it says in verse 13, for these believers to have renewed perseverance. See, some of Paul's readers were wondering, Paul, you've been in prison now for almost five years at least. Is all this worth it? Will the work stop since you're now in prison? 
isn't it time to give up? Paul says, no. Have courage. Do not lose heart. Why? He had learned the value we place on something determines the hardship we are willing to endure for it. See, the message of grace for Paul had great eternal value. He was willing to hang in there, to not lose heart, even though his situation was difficult at best. What does this mean for us? Here's a few lessons that come out of this passage today. Just start where we ended. What value do you place on the gospel message of grace? What hardship are you willing to endure will betray your true answer. You have to evaluate your life. Do you need to again hear from the passage this morning? Persevere. Persevere. Do the work of grace for others. Invest grace in their life. Share the gospel. That is what God is calling us all to do. Even during these times of struggle and hardship, he's calling us to do the hard work of ministry no matter where we find ourselves. Secondly, have you forgotten the privilege each of us have to step into the throne room of the Lord of Lords? To step into that room boldly, with full access, confidently. See, God longs for you to tell him your heart and your needs. And we can pray at any time, in any location. The Father wants to hear what is troubling you. And I know for many of us, as we have been isolated in our homes, I think all of our prayer lives have increased and the struggle is, how do we keep that up more and more? Thirdly, when God calls you to do something for him, do not let your sense of inadequacy keep you from obeying. We all do it, though. We all have excuses. If God commissions you, he will provide you his message, but also his power. Check Julie Lyle's great presentation as well on the giving and the power of the Holy Spirit that he wishes to pour into each one of us on a daily basis. And so as he stretches you and asks you to do things that are way out of your comfort zone, Understand, if God asks, he will provide. Trust him wherever you are to do that. And finally, all of our ministries are a grace gift from God. So let's make sure that we are clearly communicating that grace that God has given us to others. How we treat them. How we provide for people. Are we gracious 
or are we stingy? God wishes to use his grace in our lives to minister grace to others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage this morning that we can look into and see how Paul had to stop his prayer and just marvel at your grace in his life and the grace you are now giving to Gentiles and Jews alike through the body of Christ. Remind us, Father, that you are working out your grace in us to reach others, but also to teach angels what grace looks like. So thank you, Father, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.